that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 49, Police Academy 3, Back in Training. I'm your host, Officer Mike, and welcome to the Academy Wars. Today I'm joined by Christian Larson, my resident jocks vs. nerds consultant, or rather, snobs vs. slobs. That's right, Police Academy, a series built on those themes, takes a giant cartoon mallet and whacks you on the head as hard as it possibly can, as many times as it can, in about 80 minutes. The one major thing really going on here may be an all-out PG soft reboot of the series, but I've never really heard of that being considered until just now. In any event, it's time to pull over, put your hands behind your back, and reserve the right to remain silent, because we're going to the Police Academy. So, welcome back to Third Times of Charms. You're under arrest. <laughs> welcome back to the show. Uh, I am joined once again by one of my favorite guests. He's he's not here often enough, if you ask me. And please welcome back to the show, Christian Larson. Welcome back. It's so great to be here. And, and it's so great to be talking about this crazy franchise that was so much of a part of my childhood. And, and I'm imagining yours. Very much so. You would you'd be correct in assuming that. We are talking about the Police Academy series. I came up with a catchphrase, if they ever make another one, all cops are bastards except for these guys. <laughs> this lovable batch of outsiders and uh, miscreants that have come together and become part of the law enforcement. The reformed, I suppose. I'm... Always a sucker for a classic slobs versus snobs film. That was a genre that came out of the 80s. The show Community, which I think we're both big fans of, is sort of a real homage to that sort of group of uh, mismatched weirdos who come together to overcome all odds. And I've always loved it as a weirdo in the 80s, you know. Exactly, as as one weirdo to another who had had to uh, find their own, as as it were, along the way. I'm gonna uh, call you, I guess, my uh, SVS consultant, my snobs versus slobs consultant <laughs> on the show. Now, I just had wanted you on this episode mainly because it's Police Academy. You know, it's like this wacky comedy series from the '80s that uh, started as kind of a hard R and ended as a soft. G uh, in cartoon form on Saturday mornings. So like the trajectory of the uh, IP and everything is sort of fascinating to me. The nostalgia factor as well. So I didn't even consider until I sat down to watch this one again, hadn't seen this in a few years, that this is a true snobs versus slobs entry uh, into the police
Police Academy series, they went full tilt on this one. Well, they all are. To take it back a little bit, uh, I spent much of the decade of the 80s sitting on my parents' shag carpet watching cable television, and I must have seen the Police Academy movies probably one through five, I guess, which are, which are considered the canon, I suppose. Um <laughs> So many times. And I loved them. And revisiting them as an adult was bittersweet because I could see why I loved them so much as a kid. But there were so many things I would have done differently as as a uh, connoisseur of the slobs versus snobs genre. And the first movie was like so many 80s franchises meant to stand on its own. And it was in the same mold as Animal House, Meatballs, as all of these movies. And it it spawned its own kind of mini genre. Yeah, that first one is pretty interesting. You know, Neil Israel credited as one of the screenwriters, too, who has sort of uh, pretty influential throughout the 80s as far as like comedies and but yeah I always sort of thought that the battle as it were the versus the snobs versus slobs was pretty one-sided for the most part even in this episode which makes a clear divide like the actual plot of this particular movie is there are two police academies in the state there's only going to be money to keep one of them going one is ultra conservative and one are the goofballs it's like really clear in this one where I was feeling the other ones like Not that it isn't there, it very much is there, but it is, like you said, sort of more of this coming together, sort of finding each other kind of situation. I wonder also what it says about law enforcement in the 80s, where it's like, oh, the people who have been getting arrested are now the ones arresting people. Like, that's (laughs) sort of the joke of that, like, sort of first one and sort of leading into this one, too, a little bit as well. I never really thought too hard about that side of it. The first one is very much a classic slops versus snobs. Gutenberg and the rest, like the city opens up recruitment to anyone. And so you have all the weirdos in the world who come to try to join the police academy. He's forced to be there. Uh, he gets arrested. Yes, and it's like yes. either go to jail or the police academy. Yeah, and, and there's a lot more character elements in the first one because Steve Gutenberg's character, Mahoney, of course, is arrested by a cop who was good friends with his dad, and apparently his dad was a cop maybe, or at least friends with this guy. And he says, you know, you're better than this. Like, you're going to go to the police academy. Yeah, it's a real um, Star Trek 2009 James Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's like, what are you going to do? Go to jail or Starfleet? (laughs) Yeah, wow. That's a very good comparison. But, you know, that first movie and the second movie, and in preparation for this, I watched the first three. The second movie is more like a parody of, like, Death Wish 3. The ragtag cops are taking on this group of, like, neon-haired, drugged-up punks. And that sort of sense of snobs versus slobs is kind of left by the wayside. But the third movie brings that back. And in fact, there are several elements from the first movie that are specifically brought back. I noticed that, yeah, a couple callbacks I was very surprised to see. Yeah, I mean, the best sequels are the ones that 
make callbacks to the originals and kind of twist them to make them their own. I don't want to give Police Academy 3 too much credit, but they do kind of do that. There's a character with glasses. He's accident-prone. And in the third movie, he's kind of overshadowed by Sweet Chuck, who's more of like a cartoonish nerd. But this guy, I think his name is Feckler. Famously in the first movie, he drives to the police academy and his wife hangs onto the hood the whole time. And in the third movie, his wife wants to go to the police academy and he hangs onto the hood. In one of the uh, longer sequences in the film, yeah. I might add. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when everyone's showing up at the police academy, and it seems like everyone shows up to police academy in an out-of-control car. There are always people scrambling out of the way. Yeah, it almost nowadays is like very Fast and Furious, like in the sense of their arrival scene and everybody like uh, sort of punctuating it with their own fashion. It's just really interesting to me how much this series went from sort of this comedy that was taken, I don't want to call it a serious comedy, but a comedy that was taken seriously with the first one, right? The second one, which tried to sort of take it out of that and make it more of like a cop film, okay? It was still funny, but it was like their first assignment. It's a different genre almost because they've proven themselves. Yeah. And this one is great because on the one hand, knowing where the series went, it feels like they are like setting up for more, but it also feels like they're remembering where they kind of came from and i know that sounds weird for police academy or whatever but i feel like it does this more than a lot of more well-known or more sort of respected series of the time or i don't know there's a nice sense of continuity the characters are very well established in that first film so that they could just play with them in this one and seeing so many returning characters from part two it almost feels like i'm watching a sunday morning cartoon strip like it's just setups and punchlines and like physical humor and jokes and stuff like that like there's a really nice kind of rhythm to it all there's still like a really good sense of fun to this entire series oh, and yeah. everything when you look at movies like this obviously you have to look at it from the point of view of its time and from the point of view of being a kid sitting on its shag carpeting watching it like who isn't thinking about all these different social issues you know and it's fun you're right like there's this sense of fun that underlies it that you really don't find anywhere anymore. But you were talking about how the characters progress over the films. That's my biggest issue, is that there are too many characters, and they keep going in and out. They keep adding new characters, they keep removing old characters. One of the things about these slobs versus snobs movies is that you really have to believe that these people care about each other and these people came together for a certain reason. And there's so little characterization given to these characters beyond the very superficial Callahan is the hot, badass woman, and you've got the wacky Japanese guy. Tackleberry is Rambo, and <laughs> Michael Winslow does funny voices. Yeah, they all have their own thing. But it's like, and as a kid, that was enough for me. I was fine with that. Looking back and watching back, I want more. I want to see why these people are friends, where their loyalty comes from. 
the commandant. I want to see why they love this commandant so much, like why they have this loyalty to the commandant. And let's talk about him. He's great, yeah. Commandant Lassard, one of the great kind of characters in these films. Every movie like this has an authority figure, but they very rarely have a lovable authority figure. And Commandant Lassard is is so interesting. He's just a lovable guy. He's completely inept. I think it's no surprise, and you probably know this already, that Leslie Nielsen was supposed to play Commandant Lassard. Wow, I could definitely see that. I yeah. mean, I know George Gaines from Punky Brewster, you know, yes. so like <laughs> I recognized him as sort of a very kind presence and to trust him and, and that whole thing. That's really cool. They've, they're very much of the same sort of type when it comes to comedy. And like, I feel like he could have played this role the same way. There are so many characters in this particular installment that get no chance to be their own character. You have Tackleberry's brother-in-law. And the gag there is that they're this super macho, super aggressive, super competitive family. But he fades into the background. You get Feckler's wife, and her only gag is that she's just as accident-prone as her husband was. Mm -hmm. She gets stuck behind the dispatch desk. Yeah, you don't get anything. And most amazingly, there's a character that's set up to be like a rich kid, like a spoiled rich kid. And there, there's a lot of mileage you could get out of that. And in fact, Kim Cattrall, who was the Steve Gutenberg's love interest in the first movie, had the exact same background. And they really didn't do anything with that in the first one. But this guy who pulls up in a limo, he gets out in an ascot with a cigarette holder, <laughs> you know, typical 80s douchebag millionaire. But they do nothing with it nothing's done with his character for the rest of the movie except for a really great scene where uh, towards the end where he looks through a window and makes a face as he realizes that the cocktail party is about to be taken over by domestic terrorists he makes a face that is one for the one for the record books i agree i like what's here but i definitely wish there was sort of more of everything because they have to sort of hit the same beat several times with every character they have to do like okay get the gang back together so everybody has to be reintroduced with a little joke tackleberry's playing rambo in his backyard and steve gutenberg's coaching women's basketball <laughs> right so like then once they're all sort of assembled they're dealing with the new recruits so we have to introduce all the new recruits and then we have to do a gag with our old gang showing how you know maybe they haven't grown so much by being instructors but also being cool and goofing off at the same time yeah and then like at the end they all have to have their moment again arresting somebody at the armada fundraising thing for the governor you know that way you also have to do all the new recruits having their arrest moment and stuff and so like definitely you know all the little in-between character moments get cut like the biggest sort of storyline is with the new japanese recruit and i feel like that's what they wanted to do with all the new recruits you know is like stretch it out and give everybody their own storyline maybe set them up with a previous police academy 
dude who's now teaching there. Like they sort of did with Zed and Sweet Chuck. You know, they like teamed them up and stuff, and they teamed Sweet Chuck up with Tackleberry a little bit and things like. I feel like there were plans to do that, but a lot got just either left on the cutting room floor, or maybe they didn't even consider it because they were just like, "We're making a police academy movie. We're gonna turn these out. We're gonna put out one a year for the next three years." Yeah. They also dropped the ball a little bit by not showing enough of the evil police academy as well, right? Like, there is literally no new bad characters. Like, the new returning bad dudes, I guess, are, I think, from the first movie, if I'm not mistaken, or at least patterned after, like, characters from the first movie as the the spies, right? It's hard to just constantly think of gags because it is kind of like watching Airplane or The Naked Gun, except it's not building on anything. It's like its own IP, right? It's not like riffing off of old movies or anything. Well, I guess it kind of is, but you know, you take my meaning. It's like, right, it's like sort of along those lines, but it's not quite. It's hard to write that kind of stuff and, and keep it up and keep that momentum. I think that's why, like, they end up going to Miami Beach and they end up going to Moscow. It's like a shock they didn't go to the moon. These movies, I always say that there are some movies like the airplane type movies, the the Will Ferrell movies, where it's not really a movie. It's a series of bits hung on a on a loose plot. And you can judge it based on how many of those bits work. Something like Airplane or Anchorman, like 95% of those bits work. But you don't judge it on the plot. And this movie is one of those. It's a series of bits. Unfortunately, I feel like there were diminishing returns after the first one. There are some things in this movie that were. Proctor is great. Oh, amazing. Lance Kinsey, all throughout the series, is the MVP. He can do no wrong. Like, he is an amazing comedic actor. I love when he turns from the buffet and has cocktail sauce all over his mouth. And some of the lines he delivers are great. There are a few legitimately funny bits in this film. But like I said, you get diminishing returns. And what really should be the focus is the characters. Like, that kind of gets the short shrift. And and that is one of the things that I was really... You know, I was looking so forward to revisiting this series because, you know, like I said, it, it was such a huge part of my childhood. And as I watched it, all I could think of was I wish that they had invested more in the characters. I wish they had invested more in the relationships. Yeah, it's interesting, too, now that I think about it, because, like, as a kid, it kind of just blows by you. You're just laughing at the jokes, you know. It's a cartoon. The best examples is like the precision driving course and like this person is just like amazing. It's Dom Toretto out there, right? And they pull over and it's and Hicks gets out, right? The, the like the little woman who like couldn't even start her car in the first movie and and now she's she's doing this and everything. And so like I like the jokes. Like there's a funny one where like um they're dog training and Hightower says sit and everybody sits and he kind of like smirks about it. Lots of classic kind of Looney Tunes premises, like real quick setups and punchlines and stuff. But what it's missing, I think what it comes down to, and I think what they ended up re-injecting it into, at least in into part four, if I recall, is the heart. Like they have the perfect premise here 
for any movie, really, it's like the school's going to get shut down, right? Like, this could be the last time we're ever going to see each other. You never really get that. You have maybe one moment with Commandant who's like, oh, do you think we're going to win? And they're like, yeah, we'll win. And he's like, you don't think they're going to close down the Academy? And they're like, nah, they'll never close down the Academy. Like, that needs to be a constant through line throughout the whole... Like, those are the stakes. And it feels like they're just saying, like, there's no stakes. Don't worry about it. You know, it's all really building to the last 10 minutes where (laughs) there's, uh, like, an action sequence and the cadets (laughs) have to, like show what they're made of it's like so weird and noticeable now as an adult that it was very jarring and i couldn't give it stars you know for trying because like i realized oh it's not really trying like you know it's not giving you more than you want it's giving you all that you need you know what i'm saying like it's just sort of like here's here's all you're getting for now but you know that didn't stop me from coming back for more i definitely remember seeing this one part four and part five in theaters you lucky, lucky bastard. <laughs> the Route 17 triplex when that oh. was uh, still up and running, which was, the, I think, the closest that Burger County got to a grindhouse theater. <laughs> you brought up something interesting because there's a sort of climactic banquet that they have. That's the rival police academies are there and all of the evaluators and like the the mayor and the police chief are there and the police academy uh commandant lassard's police academy they get up and do a musical number yeah they're a band yeah (laughs) and i loved that that was so great you know it was something that it was missing one of the legitimately funny moments was cutting to the rival police academy standing there in their like Nazi uniforms, not smiling and like folding their arms, you know. And obviously, the people behind this are no slouches as far as comedy goes. The people who created Police Academy were proteges of Mel Brooks, which makes sense. The guy who wrote this movie wrote a lot of comedy movies, including Funky Monkey. Oh boy, R.I.P. Monkey Club. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can't help but go back and watch this movie and think about what it could have been. Now that I think about it too, it's like, not only does it have to spend a lot of time on old characters, but like, it's kind of creating that problem for future movies with the new characters too because you know every movie we have to have jones do his poorly dubbed voiceover kung fu moment yeah Yeah. like we gotta hit that beat yeah from now on we're gonna have to have a moment where bobcat gulfway just screams at something and it either works or stops working (laughs) I want more than that. Like, I want more than that. You bring up that uh, Jones. Like, he was set up as Gutenberg's best friend in the first movie. And I want to see more of him as a character. There's a scene where he gives the Japanese, like, the Japanese character, who, as much as I complain about this movie, and, and many movies from the 80s about this, he is treated less offensively than most Japanese characters or Asian characters. Or any or any minority. Yeah. Pretty and- much. Like and I figure I think like the series in general does a pretty good point of saying that too. Just by having, you know, a lot of black people in, in uniform as well, right? Like you don't see that in a lot of other films. 
Not only that, but in the Police Academy movies, you see a racist character getting their comeuppance, usually by one of the black officers, you know? Like, that was part of the setup in this, was sort of showing that the evil Police Academy is evil because Mauser is a racist, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. like he, he kicks that guy out of there and sends him to, you know, the more acceptable Academy. I think a lot of these classic slobs versus snobs movies... Part of their appeal is that the ragtag group is usually interracial. You know, you look at Revenge of the Nerds, you look at all these movies. It shows that when you're, when you're a weirdo, when you're a loser, you can't be particular about the company you keep. So it's a diverse group. Oh, we were talking about the Japanese character. And at first you think, oh my God, like he is going to be like 16 candles. It's going to be very offensive. But no, he's not treated like, like an other. He's treated like one of the group. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the more endearing points of the series and why it might have lasted. And so, like, why it, it is thought of more as, like, in a positive light, looking back fondly on this stuff, is because it is very sort of inclusive on that level, sure. right? Like, so, like, when Nagata, right, the Japanese recruit, like, goes to Jones for you know, for help, this guy who usually is, like, speaking in voices and stuff, like, he drops that for for a minute, right? And he's like, hey, man, like, what's on your mind? Like, talks to him, like an actual human being face-to-face. And I was thinking to myself, like, you have this Japanese actor and this black actor sharing the screen at a police academy, you know, and this is the late 80s or whatever. I mean, it feels a little more progressive than I was sort of expecting to come back to you know it's sort of there's a nice counterbalance i guess in that regard where it's like still some things make you cringe but but most of it doesn't most of it is like oh that's actually like really nice and sort of forward thinking it really was but you know at the same time going back to wherever it was i digressed from to see that side of jones to see him as a character other than the guy who makes funny noises was refreshing and you you got a tiny glimpse of that and that's the kind of thing that i wanted to see from all the other characters i wanted to see their personalities past the one note thing that defined them i feel like they had really good opportunities in this movie to do that as well like mahoney comes back and he is just the horn dog now right of course. like he's he had more dimension in the first two movies it's like they stripped him of that almost and it's like well let's use this opportunity to teach him uh, about what's appropriate when you're dating now in the nine like yeah in the future yeah. 90, or whatever you know like let's Take the time yes. to use the what's socially going on and like turn it on Mahoney and like do that kind of, and like I feel like there's opportunities with like most of the characters to do something you know like Tackleberry right like to snap him back to reality somehow sure, a, little, yeah. a little more now that you kind of are, are sort of talking more about this like never really dawned on me how much more I do want to know about some of these characters and like why does Jones hide behind all of those noises and impressions and like what did happen to him yes you know, i want to like meet i want to meet jones's parents to the series credit they did introduce tackleberry you know you got to see behind the scenes of like you know his family life 
but we needed more of that. It seems silly to be demanding more of a franchise that was 30 years ago, but... Maybe, but maybe not. Like, I also think that, you know, a movie like Mannequin, right, like around this time, which is such a preposterous sort of premise, but has so much heart, right? Like, that first one works in such a kind of magical, weird way, okay? Because it's not just constant, like, jokes about her being a mannequin or something, right? Like, they actually take time to sort of learn about who this guy is, why he likes to make mannequins, like, what brings him to that, you know? You learn about her and everything, and, like, they don't really get much further, I don't think, later on in the series, right? Like, I think it's kind of like I said earlier, they just transplant them. I was so looking forward to talking about Police Academy with you, but it's become, like I said, bittersweet because what I realize is that it lacks heart. And and if it had more heart, and, and I keep thinking of community or any of the things that inspired community, like Cheers, even going back to the inspirations of this series with Animal House or Meatballs. You know, there's heart to that. There's characters there. And there are characters to be found in the Police Academy movies, but they're sacrificed for the sake of gags, which aren't always great. Like I said, there are some gags that are great, but like I think the Police Academy movies would be more appreciated now if they had more heart to them. Is Steve Gutenberg in five? Steve Gutenberg was unable to star in Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach, due to scheduling conflicts with filming Three Men and a Baby. The filmmakers decided to go with Matt McCoy as a new character, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun, who is definitely not crazy. It's funny because I've read over the past couple of days as I've been revisiting this franchise, I've read quotes from Steve Gutenberg, and and he's not, as you would expect from somebody who, you know, took a role in a popular lowbrow franchise on his way up the ladder. He said, my role in Police Academy is like a candy bar. It's like something you eat real quick, and it, there's no nutritional value. Not, not like diner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or cocoon. That's a meal. But he, he really felt like there was, he had more to give. And there was a quote I read from the makers of Police Academy 3, and they said this was our opportunity to sort of, you know, flesh out these characters and show that they are developing. And I didn't see any of that. They're developing in one direction, and it's that they're becoming less individualistic and more authoritarian. <laughs> they are becoming actual cops now. Yes. <laughs> so, like I was saying before, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself all the ways that I would go with this. And it's like, all of these people are weirdos and losers who were probably had terrible encounters with police in the past, especially Bobcat Goldthwait. I mean, we get to see him terrorize Sweet Chuck in the previous movie, so we know what he's gone through. <laughs> but it's like, if you could show them kind of taking that experience and bringing that into their, how they want to be police officers, you know, 
if you could go back and show that Jones or Hightower had had bad experiences with the police in the past and how that influences how they are police officers. I mean, I know that's not funny, but they could make that fun. Like, there's a way to show development of these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a way to go. Like, that's a very modern sort of spin on it too maybe or at least i think maybe that's where we're coming from is today's sort of way of thinking looking back at these movies they were just not taking that into account right they're like this movie isn't that <laughs> let's not try and get too serious or anything it's a series of gags it was it was conceived as just a series of gags it's a PG already. Like, we're at part three. We've gone from R to PG-13 to PG in three movies. Yeah. These are, will now be sort of known as, like, family films for the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so everything is light, easy, breezy, airy, and comedy at this time was just not as layered or multidimensional, you know? And I also think of community when it comes to that and how far that sort of pushed the acceptance of... Again, like multidimensional comedy, I want to call it in a weird way. Like, I don't know if that's like a phrase or if you understand. <laughs> no, I get it. I get that, it. That right? Yeah, sense. like yeah. breaking more than the fourth wall, you know, being more than self-referential. Yeah, just, just dripping with sort of reference and, and irreverence. But yeah, like you catch flashes of that in the 80s and you wish it was applied to police academy right like you see it, it it emerges here and there where usually you least expect it from time to time and you just wish that like they were able to gleam on to those sort of ideas and moments with this series at some point because it's fertile ground you know like they've been trying to bring this back for over a decade i think even key and peel were attached at one point which i think is super interesting you know considering we were sort of talking you know about how many black cops are in this movie like it'd be interesting to see this in the hands of sure you know, some oh black my creators. god absolutely so like that's the rumor i had heard for a while is that like they were trying to develop the property i think jordan peele just exploded at some point with fame and kind of had other opportunities and stuff just so i think we might have lost like a really interesting version of this at some point but it is too bad that they didn't kind of have that vision or didn't really maybe they just didn't see the value in their own property like that happens a lot right like i find myself watching stuff now um from the 90s going like man i love this so much but like they're wasting the premise okay like like so many there's so many more things passenger 57 can be doing on this airplane <laughs> yeah yeah I get it. I get it for sure. The Police Academy series was, I think, kind of a wasted opportunity. And I hate saying that because as a kid, these movies were in constant rotation on cable television and I loved them. And it was because they were cartoons. And it's no, it's no surprise that it became a cartoon eventually and a series of action figures and whatnot. But looking at it through the lens of someone who has taken in so much pop culture looking at this now i see so much that could have been different and the number one thing is the characters and the story like the gags should take a backseat to the characters I'm shocked Mahoney never became the commandant or, or, or commissioner or something, right? Like, that's along the lines of what I would like to have seen. Uh, Steve Gutenberg, he always said, like, I'm just doing this for the paycheck. But, like, 
I can only imagine a world where he was fully invested in this uh, franchise and and he wrote it all the way out like Vin Diesel <laughs> in The Fast and the Furious, you know? Yeah. And he believed in it and, and the characterization, you know, not like there's all that much characterization in The Fast and the Furious, but that would have been a step up for uh, the Police Academy movies. I want to learn more about Hook's I want to learn more about Jones. I want to learn more about everybody. Instead of there being a new hot blonde for Mahoney to seduce in every movie, it should be someone like Britta and Jeff. There should be a follow-through on all of these characters, and there's not, and it's a shame. This might sound crazy, but try and follow me for a second here. But what this sort of has the bones to is something along the lines of, like, Ghostbusters kind of thing, right? Like, if this just had more of what, like, the money maybe and the talent and the scope of the Ghostbusters, I think that it could have been kind of like a contender. Like, this could have been what happened if Ghostbusters turned out one every two years, right? Like you like you said, diminishing returns. And I think that's what happened with Police Academy. If they had sort of just taken their time and done half as many movies, okay, and, and sort of just concentrated their efforts a little stronger, it would have been wildly more successful. And, like, I think we would have gotten more depth and development and stuff because, as it is, these things blend together in my head that, like, I think if they had just kind of condensed them all together in the first place into half the, the amount of movies, maybe we would have gotten more of what you're kind of looking for in retrospect, you know, maybe with all that kind of resource. But um, I definitely think now, like, at the time, I'm so grateful that we have the one amazing Ghostbusters and then Ghostbusters 1, and, and I'm just kidding, <laughs> but, like, instead <laughs> of, like, the seven Police Academy movies, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I just see, it's almost like one of those warning signs about what can happen to your property if you're not kind of in control or, or care enough about it to sort of take it uh, all the way, as it were. Uh, they just kind of, like, kept squeezing this thing, milking it dry. Yeah, it's very clear that they had an IP and they, you know, it was kind of a cash cow and they were just going to keep going as long as it took. You know, the guy who played Tackleberry, there was a quote where he said, I could have taken a million roles that were much more respectable, but I knew that signing on to this would make me a lot of money for a long time. So I did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only person who kind of, not regrets, but maybe is like not as celebratory of this part of their past is Bobcat. Um, I don't even think he'll talk about it, which is unfortunate because like I love him. This is how I learned about him. I think he's amazing. And when I found out that like, well, not found out, but like when I kind of when it dawned on me as a kid that like oh yeah that's an act like he talks like a normal person in real life like yeah, I, I respected yeah. him even more as an actor and a, and a comic and, and all that kind of stuff so that's the one another sort of kind of downer I guess is that they don't all kind of look upon this as like not necessarily like they need to look upon this as like great or anything but that they all have like these different sort of like ideas about it oh it was like i don't want to talk about it or like yeah it it immortalized me right <laughs> like it did that like i'd be so grateful for that you know like and i i feel like that's sort of the way to look at it is like yeah at least i'm remembered if i'm remembered for being tackleberry or whatever like awesome 
Also, Bobcat Galthwaite is somebody who who looks back at sort of that era that defined him, uh, where he screamed and was a weirdo, and he realizes that that's what got him where he is, but he's also kind of embarrassed of that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying don't be. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. But he looks at that and he's like, I'm not that guy. Like, I look back at that, and it makes me roll my eyes. I can totally see that. I wonder what Lance Kinsey's been up to and why he hasn't won an Oscar for something. Because, like, again, Proctor, like, MVP all the way. He really, just just a fantastic comedic actor. And, you know, even the callback to the Blue Oyster Club, uh, as as homophobic as, as it is in retrospect, was a pretty good one. I, from what I understand, they do it in every film. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, regulated to about three shots in this one, which you know, and the joke is probably the most tasteful one out of yeah, all of them. I yeah. think, or something, right? Like he's not accosted. One of the many things this movie brings back from the first one is the introduction of these two sort of square-jawed, blonde Aryan lackeys of the bad guy, which is is very much like Niedermeyer from Animal House. And they, I believe one of them's name is Chad, which is, uh, you know, so, so fitting. That's a classic element of snobs versus slobs, like the guys with the sweaters tied around their necks. But that is definitely a callback to the first one. And in the first one, they are the two... Aryan lackeys are sent out to to check out the party that's going on that weekend and Mahoney sends them to the Blue Oyster Club where they dance all night with the leather daddies and when they come back the next day the bad guy is like uh, what happened last night and they were like uh, dancing just mostly dancing and that's all they say which is a great line and it made me wish this movie was more like the first. <laughs> so here's a kind of a, a cool connection, like a, a very kind of thematic connection. The the actor playing Nagata, Brian Tachi, from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. So part of the genre, right? Absolutely. He's, he's played He's played one of the uh, titular nerds in that. He's playing sort of a cop nerd in this as well. So that was nice to get. That's like a very good get in the sense of like a lot of the work's done if you've seen that movie you know like he's kind of the same character he's he's a little less accident prone i guess bubba smith is amazing in these movies you know for for a guy who's like pretty much a football player that was typecast to be just like a big intimidating dude on screen the gentle giant play that he does is done really well like i actually think like he's more than passable as an actor and that might be why he's in i think every one of these movies is because like yeah he turned out to be a pretty good actor here there was something i read where he complained about the amount of screen time he had but they said he doesn't memorize lines like he he doesn't you know want to memorize lines he's not an actor Mm -hmm. and and the whole reason that sweet chuck is called sweet chuck is because originally sweet chuck's name was supposed to be this very complicated swedish name and (laughs) bubba smith could not pronounce it he kept calling him sweet chuck and they thought well that's a better name anyway so we'll call him sweet chuck but again 
Hightower, I would have loved to see I I would have loved to see more about Hightower's life. I would have loved to see him go home and see that that he had a very small family. You know, that would have been like What that he was like married to a little person? Yeah, yeah, or like oh, you know, maybe he was adopted by like a like a Jewish family or uh, I don't know. Yeah, that could have been something like he goes and he hosts like a um, radio show, like a jazz show from like two to six. Oh, in the my God, I would have loved that. <laughs> uh, like there are so many ways that you could have expanded on his backstory and also made it a gag. You know, a lot of missed opportunities. If you do another one, do you make it a period piece? Do you make it? Do you set it in the 80s? Do you make it a comical commentary oh, on wow. the social problems with law enforcement then? juxtaposed with what's happening now or do you just try and do like brooklyn 99 prequel it's funny you bring up brooklyn 99 because i feel like brooklyn 99 is police academy better than police academy ever was it's perfect andy sandberg is uh mahoney all the complaints that i've been making really brooklyn 99 kind of makes up for all of it so don't watch the police academy series watch brooklyn 99 well hey that sometimes that's the thing right is like watch or read like the 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 thing that's out now not what inspired it kind of thing like because that may not have held up now some things do you know i'm not saying everything yeah. and a lot of stuff that kind of is inspired by stuff just doesn't also doesn't hold up but you know it's more like if there's a modern version of it it's probably going to be better and more on the ball than uh what came before it so maybe check that out as much as i've spent the last hour criticizing the hell out of uh, police academy it brought me so much happiness as a kid so many flashes of boobs <laughs> i think maybe the first pair i saw was at the beach in part two as a little <laughs> kid i mean that movie was 1985 so i probably saw it when i was like six or seven and so many cartoonish gags uh it was a big, big part of my childhood, and I can't completely trash it just for the fact that it brought me so much joy as a kid. I've been reading and revisiting a lot of comics and like comics through the ages and things, and it's not like until until like the mid '80s, it wasn't like Batman was that deep either. You know, it <laughs> took like that generation of like the Alan Moores to like come along and recontextualize everything about. Um, like being a superhero or whatever and stuff. And so like, I think that's just another way of me getting back to saying like they weren't focused on what makes these guys tick, you know? I don't think therapy was uh, like in the public conscious quite yet as hard. Sure, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that heavy. And it's like we think that everything now has to be, you know, so relevant and we've lost fun we've lost the fun <laughs> and that's the thing it's like watching these police academy movies it's like there's a part of me that's constantly telling me i'm not allowed to appreciate this i'm not allowed to laugh at this and i hate that <laughs> i just want to have fun and there's just a lack of fun and at the basis of all of these movies it's just fun and nobody has fun anymore <laughs> There are so many things that I or you or a lot of other people would have done with these characters. And Mahoney in particular, like Mahoney is the everyman. 
Mahoney is the one that we're supposed to watch and identify with and sort of root for, you know, and we need to see him grow. Yeah, when did he learn how to jet ski? That's what I thought. <laughs> That's growth. That's growth. <laughs> Before we get out of here, there's only one part that I want to mention that we did touch upon, but I just want to elaborate on, uh, and that is at the end, the sort of the fundraising regatta sequence. The and not just this moment, but all the music in this movie. So, like at the regatta, they play like the most amazing action movie soundtrack music. It's got the steel drums, it's got the sexy sax, <laughs> it's got the flaming guitar. It's like everything I love about '80s action. And like, if they had just put as much effort into the last five minutes of this movie <laughs> that they did in the entire movie, like that, it would have been incredible all the way through. Yeah, we've seen a lot of action comedies and I was thinking of Starsky and Hutch, the remake with uh, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. You know, it ends with a big action set piece. And there have been tons of comedies that have action set pieces uh, involved. And it goes back to what you were saying before. And it was like, what if this was made with a real budget and like real effort, <laughs> for lack of a better word? You know, as a kid, I loved that final scene with the jet skis and the motorboats and the motorboat jumping through the shack and everything else. But of course, it was all wide shots with the stunt doubles, and then very close shots of the actors on a jet ski with like buckets of water being <laughs> splashed <laughs> in their face. As much as I loved those big final action scenes, and I, I think Assignment Miami Beach has one as well, it made me think, going back and revisiting it, what could have been. Like, there was a remake of Baywatch recently, which you probably saw. And there were some big budget action scenes in that. But the comedy part of that movie didn't really work. It made me think, what if they put that much effort into Police Academy? A 21 Jump Street movies. There you go. If they could remake the Police Academy movies in the same spirit as the 21 Jump Street movies, that would be it. I'd be there. Anything else before we wrap up about Police Academy tonight? Oh, my God. I, all I can say is that it was so great revisiting this. <laughs> We've been critical, but we're critics. Yeah. We're here to critique yeah. tonight, you know? And uh, I think, yeah, I, I still had fun. They still are fun movies sure. and, and all, but they are not what I remember as a kid. I yeah. do not have that nostalgia for them anymore yeah. or anything. Yeah. And I can see now as an adult that like, if I was an adult then, I'd probably be way over it uh, and just, you know, let my kid enjoy yes. his yes. popcorn and, <laughs> and get the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, Larson, totally non-committal or anything. I just want to bring this up now as I was Watching Police Academy and, and sort of underwhelmed, I tried to think of some other part three cop films that uh, you might like to join me for. And I uh, would love to have you back for definitely for RoboCop 3, but also possibly for Lethal Weapon 3. And, and we can sort of do this cop trilogy of part threes together. Oof. Well, I'll tell you what, like, I love the first two of both of those franchises so much that I've never watched the third of either. Oh, well, I've never seen I've never seen RoboCop 3, but I have seen Lethal Weapon 3 at least once. 
I suppose I can thank you for giving me an excuse to watch <laughs> either of them. But yeah, I'm always happy to chat with you. I mean, we, we have great conversations, always. Yeah, I like this because we didn't focus too hard on like the specific moments and the beat for beat of the film. And we just sort of got to have this general conversation about what Police Academy is. <laughs> It was such a cultural juggernaut of the 80s, and that was a time when both of us had our formative years as far as pop culture. So, yeah, it was a great thing to go into. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug before we get on out of here and go commit some crimes of our own? <laughs> well, I, I write for a local newspaper in Westchester County, the River Journal. You can find a lot of what I write on uh, riverjournalonline.com. I also do a podcast for them called uh, River Talk, where I talk to local politicians and artists and activists and all kinds of cool stuff. I'm currently working on an audio documentary about a radio station out of Briarcliff Manor, New York, which is where Howard Stern got its start, and the DJ Meg Griffin. So yeah, check it out, riverjournalonline.com. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you for joining me tonight, and I hope to talk to you soon uh, about more cop films, I guess. <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you, Mike. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the beast. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the yes. sound of the beast. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the gonna do it for another episode of third time's a charm gotta thank larson for coming back and be sure to check out his new podcast project and read his articles and stay tuned because hopefully he'll return to finish our cop trilogy which includes lethal weapon and robocop for all things third time's a charm head on over to cageclub.me for all the back episodes of this show as well as for over 25 other shows on the network including an old project of larson's monkey club catch the monsters that made us with Dan Colonna and myself, the last Friday of every month, as we take a look back at the history of the Universal Monster series. The latest episode is Son of Frankenstein, and it is a doozy. We're having a blast over on that show, in the dungeon, and thank you all for listening, and for all your support. 
Cage Club Prime, the OG feed. Joey and myself have reviewed two new Cage properties so far this year, and there is a trailer for his next movie, Pig. That has been released, and it seems as though it's going to be Cage's triumphant return to theaters. And I just can't wait to see that and bring you all the review. Speaking of Joey, Viva Pod Vegas is back for all you Elvis fans out there. Listen to our GI Blues episode, aka GI Blue Balls, aka Sex Bet. It's Elvis in the Army, sort of. Looking forward to doing more Elvis movies soon. Go to Facebook.com slash Cage Club at Cage Club Pod on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Leave a review, five stars, all that kind of stuff. And listen on Spotify, etc., etc. Until next time. Three, that's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three. Three, they stubbing me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?